This week, I talked to the author of How Hard Can It Be? Startup Lessons from Trying and Failing to Take Down Facebook. I read this book. Actually, no, I didn't read this book. I binge read this book. It was entertaining. It was business lessons. As an entrepreneur, you will see yourself through this book and so many things to learn from this author's journey. Well, I won't talk about it anymore. Jump into the conversation and have a listen for yourself. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives. Today we have an amazing guest. We have Anna Wood Hannibal Wedholm. Well, I am so excited to have you here, especially after reading your book. This book is amazing. Early entrepreneurs, you need to get this book. It's called How Hard Can It Be? Startup Lessons from Trying and Failing to Take Down Facebook. Please, Anawad, let us know who you are and what you're about. Thank you so much, Priscilla, for having me on. I'm really excited and, and looking forward to this conversation. So yeah, I'm, as you mentioned, I've just written a book. went uh, live October 2021. It's a startup book because, well, I'm an entrepreneur to start with. And so having done myself the uh, entrepreneurial journey and having come out of it in a way that uh, I would say nine startup out of 10 do come out of it, which is not so successful, I felt that I needed to tell that story, that, that story of the real entrepreneurial journey. I mean, what is it like to run a startup and try to monetize a startup and do all the things that tech entrepreneur wants to achieve? And yeah, how does it feel really and what, what you get out of it? That's the purpose of the book. And I hope it will uh, help a lot of people on their own journey. Yeah, phenomenal. I'm going to quote your book here quite a bit in this interview. So <laughs> bear with me for you to the audience. I'm just giving you snippets of this amazing book. Well, part of the reason that you feel that entrepreneurs should share their insights and hard-earned wisdom is that, and I quote, it dramatically increases the odds that the newest in our rank become more than roadkill on the highway of innovation and progress. More than roadkill on the highway of innovation and progress. That got me right there. It sucked me right in. From reading this book, this is not your first startup. I'll let you talk a little bit about your startup that you mentioned in the book in Thailand. And if you can take us from the point of having this idea to take Facebook down and then to the point where you begin to make traction and you're surprised by how quick and speedy the traction is. If you can just tell us about that. We'll start there. <laughs> Yeah, let's start there. That would be a good intro. There are two ways of doing it, I guess. Now, having done it, I would favor one specific way. In our case, we're looking for that best idea because we wanted an idea that, that would scale, my co-founder and I. And so we came with a lot of ideas on, you know, what, what could we do? What did we have the capacity and the capabilities to do? What could we have the money to, to do? Where was the intersection between our skill set and the likelihood of us, you know, being able to, to do anything. And, and I guess some passion baked into that, you know, what, what were we passionate about in that very moment? So we were management consultants. So we had a, a large array of, you know, a big spectrum of things we could do. I mean, we, we were, so to say, generalist. So we knew about a lot of, of, of many things, but nothing's specific but a lot of things that that we know about so in a way it was a good thing our core as a consultant what we were working with prior to launching our startup was behavioral change and 
as I explained in the book, we were working with helping large organizations to cascade uh, change initiatives. So typically, it has to do with either upscaling people, I mean, helping them develop the skills that they need, uh, employees need in order to make that new strategy happen in a, in a larger organizational context, and or rather helping both leaders and organizations develop the behaviors that they need to have in order to cascade those initiatives. And now it, it sounds very fluffy and, and random, but initiatives could be anything from, you know, very technical initiatives such as sales initiatives, but also if, if you work with HR, it would have to do with the understanding of corporate values, for example. Anyway, long story short, we're working with change as a main uh, topic. And as we were doing that, this is 2012. And Facebook is starting to grow. 800,000 people or so are using Facebook at this stage. And there is a lot of research that is emerging about the side effects, the negative side effects of using Facebook. So there is this, the fact that, well, it may not be as you know healthy as we thought it was. There is this one aspect. And then there's obviously the, the aspect that every one of us uh, would notice, which is a lot of content is being created, which is not necessarily something I would say is very engaging, such as, I mean, random pictures of the food that you have had last week or <laughs> that the party you are going to next week. To us, it felt very odd that suddenly almost a billion people could spend hours and hours on that kind of content, and it was disturbing. So we took it on ourselves to create a, a platform that would be more engaging, and we, we wanted to attach a real meaning to the word engagement. And for us, it meant instead of a person liking content from their sofa, we would invite them to actually create content that one can indeed engage with. And that would mean, you know, create something in the real world as opposed to just sitting down and, and liking pictures. So that was the initial idea and, and how we got started. Oh, and you had no idea what Facebook was going to do, did you? <laughs> I said, now look no, at the metaverse. Funny, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. Wow. Uh, it was a noble idea, and I definitely could see a lot of people who, even up today, a lot of people who are anti-Facebook, are anti-Facebook for that reason. And I think the research has become more than overwhelming. Absolutely. True. That was almost like 10 years ago now, yeah. Yeah, looking yeah. back, right? Mm -hmm. right? You and your partner, Magnus, you, the way you describe him in the book, it's almost like you are complete opposites, really, and an unlikely <laughs> pair to be business partners in, in every right. sense, because in, you describe him almost to have a personality that's contrary to yours. You describe him even to having perspectives that are contrary to yours, which brings me to something that a lot of our early entrepreneur audience is probably interested in. Like, what makes for a great business partner and what makes for a great startup team? From your experience. Right. Mm. Yeah, I think you, you captured it uh, right there in the one sentence. Uh, it's easier to um, attract people that are similar to you, which in fact uh, is the total opposite you should do, right? You should try to get uh, in business with people. So first, not friends. Uh, second, people that complement you. So your 
co-founder and the initial team should definitely be what you're not, because otherwise you'll have duplication of skills and, and, you know, competencies and that will not be a great team as, as every business person really knows and, and, and should understand if they don't is that what you want to have is really a strong team of personalities that complement one another and that can look at the same thing but from a different perspective and have discussion that are really strong and everyone can argument their positions. We don't have to be in agreement. We just have to come out of those discussions with really something that is greater than when we came into whatever discussion that we will take as, as a new founded team. So in the case where you are equal partners, I'm guessing, yeah. on issues where you really totally disagreed on something, how would you move forward in that case? Uh, well, making compromises, right? Because we are equal partners and smart enough to understand that can't always win, right? You have to, it's like give and take. Some stuff you, you know, you let go and, and others you really believe that this your way is the better way. And if you can argue for it, then, um, yeah, it's, it's like argumenting and debating and convincing the other part that indeed you make a, be- a greater point. And it's a bad idea probably to, it's certainly a bad idea to always agree. You should disagree. I mean, Magnus and I disagreed a lot as you went through the book yourself, you know. And in the end, it, it made us for a really strong team. We, we could have those really heated arguments and discussions, but we would, the result would, would always be that we move the thinking forward. We advance the company, really. Stronger arguments wins. <laughs> <laughs> if you can talk a little bit about your journey into getting into an accelerator program, and also if you feel that that was really a necessary component of your journey, because there may be entrepreneurs that are listening and thinking, should I make getting into an accelerated program a priority? Or maybe should I go to a business school or should I try and figure it out on my own? So if you can just speak to that as well. Yeah. Well, it's certainly not a, a requirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, a lot of great companies made it without. So uh, certainly uh, not a requirement. But in our case, so I have to take a few steps back. We, uh, as I said, we were consultants. We were, you know, tech entrepreneurs. I mean, we had nothing of the tech background couldn't code we couldn't you know write uh, codes or whatnot and so we're a bit at odd with the vision that we had you know the, the purpose we had created ourselves which was to displace facebook uh, sounded a bit conflicting to our background so in order to sort of how should i say to feel better about ourselves and our vision we felt that you know entering an incubator could not only help us in those early days and and perhaps bring us the, the competencies. I mean, first, the understanding that we didn't have. And second, we thought that it was just the two of us initially that through networking, because those places are really meant for networking, it's exchanging of ideas, meeting new people, potentially angel investors, like the first layer of people that would invest in a in such a high-risk company. We thought it would be a, a fantastic opportunity for us to you know, try to connect the dots there. It was hard to get in, actually. As I describe in the book, we got rejected the first time we pitched because just like anything that is competitive, it's not that the door is open and you can, you know, show up and money will be thrown uh, onto you. 
it's really about competing, right? It's uh, again, it's all about the, the the best wins. So we did pitch and we did get rejected for the reason I mentioned that we were not tech enough based on what we wanted to do and, and what we had, which was nothing then. And so we had to go back to our chamber, so to say, and really work hard in the background to find what we didn't have, which was further team members, which would actually complement the team the best way versus what we wanted to achieve. And most importantly, the so-called MVP, minimal viable product, that we had to have something launched already in our dream world of management consultants. We thought that just a PowerPoint, you know, a nice story would, and, and our background and experience would be enough to get in. That was really naive of us because what those people judge you on is actual traction, like the beginning, the early signs of something that is worth uh, looking at. And so in order to do that, you have to build something initially and prove that, yes, you have something here, please uh, consider. So after a year of, of hard work and managing to get through that first hurdle, we got accepted because we had those initial signs of traction. It looked much better than a year prior. I love when you share the process of doing that because to a lot of entrepreneurs, it's almost like a world in itself. Let me take you to the day that you're about to launch. We're about to go live. And you go to bed the next day and you're surprised by how much traction you're getting on this. That was very interesting for me because why do you think that you got so much traction in the beginning where a lot of tech startups fail to get that traction mm. in the beginning? Mm. It, it was an novel idea. So we had done a lot of, of marketing, homemade marketing. We blasted content everywhere, uh, notably on Facebook. Um, you know, Twitter and everything. We, <laughs> we, we did position, or we tried at least to position us as something that was worth looking at, something exciting. We did manage to create that spark of interest initially. Uh, our target market was, as I say in the book, the world, but not, not really. I mean, it was really people who were, you know, excited by new things. So tech uh, people, but also, uh, you know, adrenaline, uh, junkies. Uh, people excited by trying new things. And so why did we get the traction? I'm not too sure why, actually. I guess, so we had baked in our engine for growth. Our assumption was that, so, okay, let me, let me get back there. The mechanics of making the platform and the, the business work was that our users would challenge their friends. Everything was around a challenge. So let's say, Presidia, you would join the, the platform and you would be prompted to either challenge yourself to anything like read 10 books by the end of the year or uh, you know uh, learn Chinese or whatever and then we would ask you to challenge your friends and so quickly it, it would come to your head that okay I have this friend of mine that wants to run a marathon okay I'm going to challenge her that by the end of the year she needs to be signed up for a marathon or I have these friends that needs to stop smoking okay I'm going to challenge him to stop smoking and so our assumption was that for every user that we would get we would get at least five six new users for free because those users would challenge their friends and that worked very well because it's easy to challenge friends 
So we got that traction initially. What we have not anticipated was that it's very easy to challenge people. I mean, it's very easy to make yourself, to have ideas, basically. It's very easy to come up with all sorts of things of the the next you, like who you want to be, who you want to become, the next version of, you know, the better Priscilla version. But it's very hard to move from the current state to the desired state. I mean, this is the typical change journey. It's the typical behavioral change journey, which is, you know, I'm here today. I want to get there. What do I need to do to get there? It's very easy for them to get ideas, vision, etc. Execution, implementation is very hard. So whilst we got a lot of people onto the platform, the conversion rate of, you know, the transformation from being challenged, accepting the challenge to actually doing the challenge and uploading the content that you, you said you would upload, uh, there was a gap there. And that led us to the, the plateau that we eventually got. When I was reading of this idea, as you mentioned it, I thought of all the industry of coaching and group coaching mm. and all that. And I thought it's almost kind of fit exactly right inside what you were trying to do. It was Doesn't almost it. like the missing link to crossing everyone over, but just absolutely fascinating. I have to speak to this because I know as entrepreneurs, you come up with your mission, you have an idea of what it is that you're going to do, you've bought into the impact that you're hoping to make. How do you get to the point, not only realizing you need to pivot, but actually pivoting not once, but three times? Yeah, I guess um, by necessity, right? Up until the point where you are not funded, um, so you haven't taken any money from external sources. It's on you, right? It's, it's fairly easy. You can argue with your partners and decide whether or not to do it. And it can be painful or not. I mean, you, you make it as painful as you want to make it. Um, but the moment you have, you know, people to whom you owe something that are expecting results that are looking for traction, pivoting, urgency comes way faster because you, you cannot afford to let things, you know, drag on and on. You have to ensure that, I mean, at the end, it, it's a game of time, right? The only thing you have, you can manage is the time that you have before all the money that you got depleted. So it's really a question of how you maximize that money versus time. And so when we had tried all of what we thought we could try to make that initial idea of disrupting Facebook work, and it did not, we concluded that out of necessity, I guess, and we were coming from, as you said, the coaching business, which is why the idea resonates so well into HR and, and, and coaching and moving people from A to B. It was obvious to us that we had to take that same platform that we had built because now we, we have something that we... We must leverage. I mean, it's not that we're going to start something from scratch. So what do we do with the thing that we've built? What, what is the shortcut? What can we do? And, and what sort of impact can we have in the field that we know? Because we can decide that, oh, well, okay, let's try this track or that track. But obviously, if you don't know anything about it, the time it would take for you to learn about that idea of yours, you may not be able to afford it. So for us, it was, okay, 
we know HR, we know strategy implementation. We have this platform now, a mechanics of challenge. How about we uh, go to HR, we go to large organizations, and we invite them to challenge this time their employees to do the things they are supposed to do and they are paid for. That was very easy because you don't necessarily have to accept the challenge. I mean, the challenge has been accepted and pushed onto you <laughs> by your manager. So you feel that you have to do it, which removes the entire, oh, well, I'm not sure, shall I, shall I not? This time you, you must. <laughs> mm. Yeah, brilliant. It's interesting that you say in the book that you went from that position of not being able to figure out how to get to the next step to when you pivoted being one of the only startups that was actually making money. Right. And it brings me to, I don't know much about accelerators, but only, you know, from what you hear, that it's almost like it can end up being an environment, especially in the US, where it becomes professional fundraising without mm. actually or a return to the right. people who are investing. So I thought I'd ask you, is, is this kind of the sense of what you saw while you were there? Normally, when you are in an incubator, you are really building your product. You're really figuring it out. What happened to us, I guess, because of the network and the experience that we had prior, and we were a bit above the average age, you know, we had this half-baked product, but we could nonetheless directly bring in clients. And because we, again, we had worked before, we knew a thing or two about, you know, relationship building and, and client and, and, you know, signing contracts and, and a lot of those things. It was easier for us, I would say, to create real clients, which was a bit of a curse as well, because we ended up signing very large organizations again, due to our experience and our network, very, very large companies which whom we did challenges for three, four, five thousand people. But then we set ourselves a bar that was so high that uh, we built expectations for everyone else, right? For our investors, for our coaches in the incubator that, okay, this is the level at which we deliver. And now anything lower than that would not be good enough. <laughs> Right? So that is a tricky situation as well. I mean, now looking back, the typical startup definitely starts at the bottom. You develop your product, you understand who you are based on, you know, small iterations, small proof of concepts, you know, tiny clients. And as you gain confidence and as you gain understanding of how you can uh, generate value, then it becomes easier to move up the value chain and charge and increase the the pricing as you go up and as you fill up with, with people and competencies inside your own organization. So we took the thing from the other end, which I think in the end really helped us go down faster. Even as I read the book, I feel like the speed at which you always have growth is just so rapid and so extreme. And then you're working all day, 20 hours a day. And mm. at some point in the book, you have somebody who comes and wants to see where you're operating from. 
and is shocked to see how many people are operating this <laughs> this company right. that has been supporting you know thousands and thousands of employees through transformation and change. How did you feel right. about looking back about the way in which you managed growth? Yeah, I think we did well, you know, because I mean, in the end, if the idea is to be scalable, which it is, right? I mean, the idea is to scale through tech. And in that sense, we were, to some extent, we were extremely scalable because we, we had managed to build a, a platform that was resilient, that was strong. We could have a lot of people onto it, even though, yes, I described, you know, the ups and downs of making that happen. Uh, but we had that platform and then we were very few people to manage it because, in fact, we didn't need any people. The tech was doing the thing. There's no need to overstaff just for the sake of, you know, reassuring your buyers that you are a legitimate company. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? I think it's an old school idea that, okay, how can we work with those guys? There are five, six people. We need to match, you know, work with someone of our size or slightly lower. It's an idea of the past. I think now it's, it's way more accepted that you know, tech companies are driven. It's a, it's a small core. And because it's tech enabled, it's okay. It doesn't need to be uh, a lot of behind the platform. But perhaps 10 years ago was less of a, an obvious thing. Mm. Since we're on this topic in terms of mindset for entrepreneurs, you write that, I quote, I wondered if I was wired properly. In the space of a day, particularly as things got harder, my mind would vacillate between the absolute certainty that Challenger Us would take the world by storm and the deep inner skepticism of our, or at least my, ability to convince even one more potential business partner to join us. I could swim from total euphoria to shocking lethargy and depression. I think that's the entrepreneurial right. journey in a nutshell. Totally. In a nutshell, exactly. It's a rough ride. Um, and that's really why I chose to write this book. I mean, you are in this space, probably have made, seen the same thing as I have and made the same sort of conclusion is that all of the content we are being offered is uh, success-based. I mean, all of what we consume all day is about those great companies you know, Tesla and, and Virgin Galactic and, you know, the Kardashian and um, Elon Musk and all those extraordinary people and their ventures. And the reality, though, is that 90% of startups fail. And 90%, and I'm really generous because it's closer to 95. When I say they fail, they don't pass the 10 years mark. And when they do, most of them are not profitable, you know, it's just there. <laughs> and so my conclusion is that if uh, with so much content about success, like extraordinary success, we have a 95% failure rate, my argument is that maybe it's not so much success that we should be shown, but the actual journey of what it takes to make it, to actually run a startup. Because what happens is that, and I was in that case myself, it's very easy to quit. It's very easy to, you know, to believe that 
that thing that you're experiencing, which is hard, you are the only one experiencing it because you haven't seen that content before. All of what you've seen is amazing, glossy magazines, fantastic billboards with successful, smiling people, amazing books with, uh, you know, Oprah uh, that made it. But these are just a tiny a fraction of, of what's out there. The vast majority is, is not that. The vast majority is failure, or at least, if not failure, is struggle. And as we're not being shown that, we've got a totally false expectation of what should happen to us. And when that rough thing hits us, we feel totally incapable of tackling it. And it is what leads people to, to stop dreaming. It is what leads people to say after a year or two, well, you know, it might not have been for me. I might try myself to something else. So I thought that by putting out the real journey of it's hard, it's hard every day. It's been hard for us for seven years. It's every day, literally. You have something coming at you. And then if you are aware of that, then it's very easy to accept that it is a fact. It is hard. And now that I know it, I can prepare myself, or at least I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised when it comes to me. Whereas if you are in this, you know, fantasy world of I'm going to be a Elon Musk because I'm working from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. after my, <laughs> my 9 to 5 job and I'm going to launch rocket to space, then you are you're going to hurt yourself. So my perspective is that let's bring something to the table here, something that is the real journey because I haven't seen any book like this. So I took it on me to, uh, to share my experience and yes, although it is my experience as a baseline in the narrative is my narrative, certainly an aggregate of all the things that I've been reading, I've been listening to all the people that I've met. I mean, it's, it's 15 years plus of experience in, uh, in entrepreneurship. Elon Musk, there's a quote from him that I like. As an entrepreneur, we're always wrong. And our job is simply to try to be less wrong. Thank you for sharing your story. The book is amazing. And I love your message that is basically we must all fail our way to success. But this is just a part exactly. of the road to getting to somewhere because, wow, what a start. You know, before I talked about your first startup, which was in Thailand, and then I, I got yeah. sidetracked, but I want to come back to that because you talk about how that ended. And you said that basically, I'll quote you on this. It says, for a while, business was booming. But after a mere two years in business, a large Thai advertising group entered our lane and crushed us overnight. So then my question to that is, how can startups avoid this, it seems almost unavoidable, aspect where you gain enough traction to be crushed by the big guy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the reason I think we could not defend ourselves in, in that particular instance is that, in fact, we had nothing. We were just a middleman. We, we had no assets, uh, per se, beside the process, the knowledge of the process that we had learned. But, you know, it's not enough to sustain 
your positioning and to defend the value that you add because in fact can be copied overnight so there's nothing that you bring that is not uh, replaceable that's a great uh, a point in terms of of course it all depends on the kind of business you're after i mean i'm not saying that you have to have a business that is not replicable because clearly you know you can t- a bakery you have many bakeries it's it's not that you have just one bakery and it's it's uh, the one bakery in town you might however have a bakery that is so special that it is the one that you keep going to because they have managed to build you know brand and they do something that others don't but it's certainly possible to have several bakeries in one town so i, I guess the point i want to make is that what an entrepreneur should really do especially these days where if you are in tech at least is to really find something that is hard to duplicate that is hard to copy i mean ideally you want to have patents and all of that but that is a very uh, specific and unique sphere i mean you have to have you know research based uh, is 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 very specific very technical so it's not for the for the majority of us but at least if you can build something that is not easily uh, replicable you get yourself a higher chances to to succeed and not being displaced so to go back to the Thai case which which I made in the in the beginning of the book it was one of my initial startup ideas and it was a great learning experience for me because that's that's really what I uncovered while doing this is that we had a process we had found a way to make money but but that was not enough to sustain us anyone could literally with enough weight come and crush us and and that's what happened uh when you have someone that has deeper pockets than you have then that's it you're done that also taught me i mean back then it was very much a known technical platform driven i mean it was very much about you know selling and the strength was in our capacity to sell but a salesperson is again not irrepl- irreplaceable very easy to challenge a, a team of sales people so you need to find a way to secure your unique selling your usp right uh, and the value that you bring that would be the first element of the question the second one would be i guess it's okay if you are an entrepreneur and that's a discussion that uh, perhaps a bigger discussion you know nurture versus uh, nature if you if you do this once and you are depressed because it didn't work out and then you can't think of doing it again then probably it's not for you and that's fine just do something else you know i mean if you can't live without thinking of bringing something new to the world every two months then i i would say that you are an entrepreneur and and you will come up with your next thing and i've been doing that forever as as long as i can remember coming up with things and trying them out and many of my of my ideas you know i i created them i conceptualized them i researched them i i do all, all the homework for free and then nothing happens because i made eventually i make the decision that mm, no someone will come and do something better or something exists that you know replaces what i could potentially do so i'm not even going there there has been a lot of work prior just even coming to that conclusion so i guess failing is good and that's the next level of 
the next reading of the book is that it's actually okay to fail, number one. Um, it's really okay. In fact, it's the only way to learn, mm-hmm. right? Because you will not learn out of success. You will learn out of, of struggle. You will learn by being faced with complicated decisions to make. Um, and when you fail as a venture, it might be, you know, depressing at first, but then eventually you realize that, well, that was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because now I'm, I'm way stronger and I can go into my next thing, if that's the next thing you want to build, with a much greater understanding of how things work. Mm-hmm. So um, failure is not to be feared. Um, and that's one of the key messages I, I want to bring these days is that, yeah, go, go for it. And even if you fail, it's not about, you know, I like this idea that it's, it's never about the destination, right? It's never about the, the shiny object at the end, the medal, the podium, the trophies, because these are just artifacts of success. But the, the actual success is the one that you build as you build yourself towards that destination. I mean, it's really who you become as a person and how strong you become and how better equipped you become to move on to the next thing. If you look at it from a very long perspective, anything goes, really. As long as you develop yourself and as long as you you can, you come stronger to the next, to your next iteration, like you as a person, well, and now I have to ask, what's next for you? What's next for Anna? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a few things lined up, actually. So right now, I'm a sales and development, business development for a startup. So I'm still in the startup world. Uh, this time, not as a as a founder myself, but as, a, as an employee. So I work with uh, drone data. So we collect uh, data captured by drones, drone uh, globally. Uh, so it's a bit of a Uber Uber for drone, drone data mm. at least. Um, so that's what I'm doing. And then obviously I'm um, trying to help entrepreneurs, you know, understand what it means to be an entrepreneur and, and hopefully, you know, accelerate their journeys uh, by providing coaching, by there is the book, obviously. I'm a mentor in a startup school. So I'm actually educating, teaching, coaching young entrepreneurs to understand how this thing works. And then uh, one of my passion is the organizational mindset, the startup mindset within large corporations. So that's still something I'm very passionate about because the innovation does not only come from, you know, uh, kids uh, in, in garages. It actually yes. also comes from large corporations. <laughs> And how they can themselves become more efficient, you know, bring, developing the capacity internally to have the, the, the mindset that is required to create the next product, the next service that would, uh, keep them going. Um, so I'm involved in, uh, in quite a few things. Um, but I guess for now, that would be it, uh, of what's next <laughs> for me. No, no second book for now. Um, there is the one, the one is enough for now. Uh, thank you so much for that. You know, something I also really enjoyed while reading the book is the way you would draw from all the books you've read and all mm-hmm. the entrepreneurs that you followed, which is 
very, mm-hmm. very interesting to read. So then I have to ask, what book would you say has made the greatest impact on you as an entrepreneur from all the books that you've read? That's a rough question because I read a lot. I can <laughs> I tell you read a lot. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm a big reader. Um, but um, I'm a big fan of um, Gary Hamill. He's a professor in, uh, in management. He just released a book, which I haven't read. But uh, some of his initial work, uh, notably when I can recall uh, top of my head, is uh, Leading the Revolution, which is really about becoming revolutionaries uh, in a way um, that you have to... So, okay, his, his work is mostly within the context of large organizations, but, but you can apply the, the thinking, you know, uh, across really uh, small and, 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 and tiny organizations, which is you really have to go against the, the status quo. I mean, there is only something that is worth pursuing is 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 trying something that changes the way things are currently done. Otherwise, you're just a copycat or you're just doing more of the same. And more of the same, sadly, won't give you much because if you don't add so much more value than what's already out there, the likelihood of you being uh, spotted or being worth uh, looking at as a, as a company is very tiny. I would encourage people to really think big and not be not be attached to the way things have always been done because that is just an illusion. You know, it's easy to think of a tiny layer of, of value add, but it's not enough to mm-hmm. make you a sustainable company. You really have to go into something and, and bring so much value that you disrupt your field or you, you come up with something that is so different. I mean, it may not have to be highly technical. It can be can be a way of selling, can be a, a branding idea, but it needs to be so different that I like this idea of um, Seth uh, Godin, which is, uh, you know, something remarkable is something worth making a remark about. So the idea is that create something remarkable because unless you do so, no one will make a remark about you. Really great. Uh, My last question is always, what has faith meant to you on your journey? I've learned a lot, really, from that journey. And so the faith I had then was the faith of the work I would put in. Mm. You know, I was convinced that, because it sounds logical, the more you put in, the greater the output, right? So if you put 10 hours worth of work, well, you should get more than if you put in three or four, which sounds very rational and very logical. As it turns out, not necessarily. You know, we've worked a lot. I mean, really a lot. Seven years, pretty much every day, weekend included, very late in, in the night. There is a point where you think you're productive, but in fact, you're not. I mean, at, after 10 p.m., uh, probably... You're just uh, wasting your time. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> the relationship between, <laughs> you know, what you put in and what you get is not such. So during the journey, I was really, I had faith into myself, right? The, the, the input I would put in mm. and, and what I would get out of it. What I've learned, though, 
um, coming out of it is that, which connects back to, to what we've discussed, is that, you know, eventually perhaps it's okay and perhaps, so now I've become a bit spiritual of, or, you know, I, I consider all things like up to the universe. So I've been reading a lot. I'm, I'm very interested in, in neuroscience. As you know, I'm very interested in uh, quantum mechanics, you know, consciousness and, and all those topics that no one really uh, has a clue about whether you're a physicist or a neuroscientist. The question of of consciousness is is very interesting to me, and so my conclusion today is that perhaps what you're meant to be, you're actually on the path. So you don't have to to believe that you know you're not doing the right thing. Things happen perhaps for a reason. It sounds a bit like deterministic as an approach. Uh, perhaps there is a some you can affect, obviously, uh, some that you can't. What is it that you can affect versus what is it that you can't? But to me, because we've worked so much and we've achieved so much, and in spite of that, we failed uh, as a company. I mean, we didn't make zillion. We have to continue to work. I've come to the conclusion that, you know, perhaps the best thing that never happened to you, the thing that you wanted, is perhaps the best thing that happened to you because it sends you back onto your own trajectory, the one that you perhaps were meant to to be on in the first place. So I would stress less about the... It connects uh, also what, what I said initially, which is it's less about the outcome, less about the destination and, and more about what and who do you become as the whole thing unfolds? Mm. Um, so I've become a, a little bit more spiritual in my ways of, of looking at things um, after this experience. That's amazing. Now to our audience, if you can please go to howhardcanitbethebook.com to learn more about Arna Wood and to get this book. Now, where are you most active on on LinkedIn, um, I'm, I'm the most active. I share a lot of content on LinkedIn. I also have, you, you just mentioned the, the website uh, from which one can uh, can get the book. I'm trying to build a community of passionate people to share that knowledge and provide tips. Um, we're doing a thing for everyone that, that buys a book. Um, I've created a, an additional, what I call the seven traps on the road to startup success, which is really an extra layer on the book, like seven really things that you assume but aren't necessarily true. So that we give away for everyone that is sending your receipt to the website and you get automatically, you get the ebook sent to you. Um, uh, so that's a good thing for your audience. Thank you so much. And let me tell you the review that I left for your book. I said you were chasing a unicorn, but I feel that the unicorns were the team that you had, the team that you became, and not necessarily the company. It's a phenomenal book and a phenomenal contribution to entrepreneurs everywhere. So thank you so much, Arnold, for your time. Thank you for the book and thank you for your work. It's a very nice conversation. So I'm, uh, I'm happy and I, I look forward to uh, perhaps getting feedback from your listeners about what they've learned in the book. 
For more information, freebies, and clips from various episodes, please follow us on Instagram at Reinventing Perspectives. Thank you so much for your time. We absolutely value your time. And even more, we value your feedback. Don't forget to leave us a review. Thank you so much and see you again next week. Mm-hmm.